Thanks for that, Beck. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to turn to Second uh, Peter, chapter three. Let's finish off this uh, preaching series this morning in this particular letter. Sarah, can I just give this to you? Okay, so we're reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole chapter. This is the words of the Lord Jesus through his apostle Peter. says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, a thousand years, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, li in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, Amen. Would you pray, pray with me? Precious God, as we uh, come around this passage this morning, uh, Lord, we want to first recognise that uh, it is indeed your word to us, the word of the living God. Help us to receive it as such this morning. Help our hearts, our minds to be uh, malleable in your hands, 
Lord, that we would be the clay, that you would be the potter, and you would teach us, that you would fashion us, so that we might be uh, vessels of noble purposes for your good in this place and in this community, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a thing in, uh, in some countries around the world, I believe, that is called diplomatic immunity. Ever, anyone ever heard of that? Yes? That's not working, Matt, so you might want to slide that on. If you want, next slide, if you can, thanks. Basically, what this means is that certain uh, diplomats, or their, these officers, these ambassadors and their families, they can commit all manner of crimes and in a country, and yet they can be immune from prosecution in that country. The law cannot touch them. Now, there are all sorts of examples of, it, of, of diplomats, if you go online, that have flouted the laws in countries of which they're based and they've gotten away with it. In, in fact, it goes right through to even murder. Not quite so serious, but in, in New York, which is home to the United Nations, where I imagine there are lots of diplomats, uh, it's said in a five-year period that foreign diplomats in that, in that city managed to get 150,000 parking tickets, of which none were paid. It's approximately 82 parking tickets a day. It's pretty, pretty impressive, isn't it? Yes. And that, you know, you sort of ask yourself the question about, uh, you know, this whole aspect of diplomatic immunity, you know, and I, it might just be my mind, I hope it's not yours, but anyway, it says, if you were certain that you had this kind of immunity from the law, what sort of things might you be tempted to do? Hmm. If you knew you had that immunity from the law, what things might you be tempted to do? You know, there were people living in, in, the Apostles, in the Apostle Peter's day who were part of the church and they were promoting ungodly lifestyles. They were promoting ungodly lifestyles. Sexual immorality, corruption, greed, drunkenness, all these kind of things as part of the family of God. See, they misunderstood their freedom in Christ to mean that they could live however they liked and God would not hold them accountable, just as these diplomats didn't think the law would hold them accountable. I mean, their theology was so distorted that they believed that because Jesus hadn't returned yet, that the idea of God's future judgment was foolishness. You think, well, that's pretty crazy on their part, isn't it? But then, if we think about it in our own context today... How many of us as Christians would affirm that yes, God will indeed one day judge the world when Christ returns? But yet, the practice of our day-to-day -day lives would, would seem to kind of deny that in reality. That we would live today as though we won't have to give an account to God of all that we do in this life. The reality is, though, that the Bible is very clear when it says that Jesus is indeed coming back. I mean, this has been the hope of the church for some 2,000 years. Jesus came first as Saviour some 2,000 years ago, but he is coming again, not as Saviour, but as Judge and as King. And when he comes in this, this second time, he is going to restore all, he's going to, he's going to right all the wrongs. He is going to fix all of the injustices of this world and he is going to get rid of all the evil. He is going to judge both sin and sinners alike. 
And the scriptures tell us that you know, for those who accepted Jesus as their saviour and king, that they will live for him, with him forever in his eternal kingdom, but all who have rejected him will be shut out. They'll be shut out of that kingdom, banished to an eternity of suffering and torment. That's the teaching of the word of God. In fact, Jesus' second coming is spoken directly about or alluded to over 1,800 times in the Bible. In fact, for every one verse that mentions Jesus' first coming, there are eight verses that point to his second coming. And so for Peter, as he writes this letter, as he comes to the end of this letter, this, this second letter he says that he's writing to the believers of his day... His concern was that if Christians lose sight of the fact of Christ's second coming and of God's judgment, if they instead believe these so-called scoffers and the false teachers, then the danger is, Peter says, that you, will fall, you might fall away from your faith. Look at verse 17 of, of, of 2 Peter 3. He says this. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand all that he's just mentioned he says take care that you are not carried away with this particular error this error of lawless people and lose your own stability and here in this third chapter of this of this second letter of peter peter gives us a number of different ways of how we can in fact guard against this in our own lives, that we can in fact guard against being carried away with error of lawless people and losing the stability of having our faith planted solely on Jesus Christ and the word of God. And Peter says there are six things in this passage that we need to do and we're going to work through these reasonably quickly this morning. If you're taking notes, they'll all be up there on the screen behind me. The first thing that Peter says that we need to do is we need to remember what's true. We see that in verses 1 to 4 of our passage. It says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. How often we need to be reminded of the truth of the word of God. It's so easy to lose sight of what is true in a world that is so opposed to God's word and preaches such you know, uh, falseness against the word of God and preaches all of these other things to believe in this world today. We continually need to be reminded of the truth of the word of God. We need to keep coming back to the scriptures. And Peter says, I want to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. In other words, Peter is saying here, I want you to be reminded of the truth of the word of God that you have had imparted to you through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? That the word of God is the truth. It is the only truth and it is the only valid voice of God until the end of history. By it alone do we know the truth and by it alone do we discover how to be saved from God's judgment but also how to live lives that honour him and bring glory to him. And Peter says we need to remember, we need to be reminded consistently, constantly, of the word of God in our lives. I wonder how much does the word of God form as part of your daily routine in your life? 
How often are you getting into the Word of God and allowing God to speak to you through it? I don't mean just picking up a Bible first thing in the morning, reading a, reading a section of Scripture and then going away and forgetting about it. But, but, but meditating upon it, continually have it going over in your mind, like, a, like it's like a cow who chews the cud. It's a little bit gross, but you know, when a cow chews grass, you know, they, they chew it for a while, then they swallow it, and it stays in the stomach for a bit, and then they regurgitate it back up and chew it over, you know, over again. That's the kind of image that we have to get in terms of meditating upon the Word of God. We, we, we get it in our minds and we just continually go over it in our minds, over and over, allowing the Spirit of God to speak to us through that and then to ch- convict us in our hearts and then change us in that. You know, Peter says that, you know, he says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. We don't often hear that word scoffer today, but what it really means is someone who mocks or ridicules the word of God. And there will always be those who scoff against God's word, who who mock it, who ridicule it, and who mock and ridicule those who believe in it. These scoffers in Peter's day did not believe that Jesus was coming back to judge the world. We said in verses 3 to 4, he said, you know, they'll come in the last days, they'll follow their own sinful desires and they will say, where is this second coming? Where is, it? where is he? Is he coming back or isn't he? Because, you know, they're going to say, you know, look, for ever since, you know, the fathers, our ancestors fell asleep or died, all things just to continue on as they were from the beginning of creation. So, you know, everything's just continuing to go on as it was. Oh, we don't think there's going to be any second coming at all. You can't trust what God said. I guess in a sense you can, you can certainly understand why they might say this because, I mean, if someone promises something but then are very, very slow in making good on that promise, you can certainly start to doubt them. I mean, if I was to say to my wife that I promised to buy her a diamond ring for her birthday or Christmas, but then, you know, her birthday comes around or Christmas comes around and I didn't buy it for her, she'd be disappointed. But then if I said to her the next year, you know what, I'm going to buy you a diamond ring this year. And then that year came around and it, and it didn't happen and so on. Sooner or later, she's going to get to the point where she's not going to believe a word I say anymore. You know, in the opinion of the scoffers here in this passage, God had not come good so far with his promise and so they're saying God can't be trusted. But we need to be reminded very, very surely today that God's promises are sure and certain. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul, who Peter speaks about at the end of this chapter, he says that uh, for all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God find their fulfilment in Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at Scripture, we see that every prophecy about Jesus, about his first coming, about his ministry, about his death, about his resurrection, all of these have come true. All of these have been proven true. In fact, only the promises and the prophecies surrounding Christ's second coming of his eternal reign remains to be realised. All of the promises are true. We can count on God's word. Secondly, Peter says we need to remember God's work in the past. 
Because Peter goes on to say that uh, in verses 5 through to 7 that the scoffers, they overlook a very important detail. Look in verse 5, he says this, he says, For they deliberately, speaking of the scoffers, they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, Peter says these people only need to look at the universe around them and see that it exists only because of God and the creative activity of his word. Genesis chapter 1, and you, know, you, you hear it repeated, or you see it repeated through that whole chapter. We hear, we hear the words, God spoke. God spoke and it came into being. In fact, that phrase, and God said, is repeated over and over and over in Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be, you know, that, that, that the waters be parted, you know, that there be a, a canopy, a, a, an atmosphere, and then a, and a sea. God, you know, parted those waters. And then he said, you know, God said, let the, dry, let, let the sea be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and then let that gr dry ground produce life. And God said, and it was. And Peter's reminding these, these people, he's saying, you know, God has spoken, all this thing exists through because of God's creative spoken word. goes on to say that not only that, but God also spoke and used those same things that he created to bring about judgment. We see that in Genesis 6, 11 to 13. You know the story of Noah, how God had said to Noah, you know, I'm sick and I've, I've, I've lost patience with all of the wickedness and evil in this world and I'm going to wipe it all out and start afresh. But Noah, I want to, you and your family, I'm going to show grace to you and I'm, I want you to build an ark and you're going to take refuge in that ark. And when I bring the judgment on the world, that everyone is going to, be, going to be consumed in that judgment, but you will be saved through that ark, Noah, you and your family. And Peter's saying that these people knew this about God's word, but they chose to reject that. They chose to deny that. They chose to forget it. And folks, we need to ask ourselves the question, how much of the word of God do we ourselves choose to reject or deny or to forget in our own lives about God and the reality of the truth of his word and the reality of who he is. God said, God spoke and it was. And God, Peter goes on to say then in verse 7 that it, that, uh, it is by this same word, this same powerful creative word of God, that God's promises, sorry, the, 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 that word that, that speaks of God's promises, that the heavens and the earth that now exist are also being reserved for judgment. They are being saved up for fire, as Peter says here, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter says, this is how God's worked in the past and we can see it and this is how God's work going to work in the future and you can believe it. Thirdly, we, remember God's we need to remember God's perspective concerning time. 
We need to remember God's perspective concerning time. We see this in verse 8 of our passage today where it says, But do not overlook this one fact, Peter says, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Peter says another detail that these false teachers overlook is that they fail to understand God's concept of time. What may seem a long time to us is really only short in terms of God's purposes and eternity surrounding his plans. It's like going on a car trip. You know when you go on a car trip with kids and the kids keep saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the parents turn around and say, yeah, it's just a little bit longer now, not very far. But to the kids, it, you know, it goes on again. You think, oh, you know, it just seems like forever, doesn't it, guys? Parents don't think it's very long, but the kids do. We lose sight, we lose perspective of God's timing. Christmas is just around the corner. Only a few weeks away, it's when we remember afresh the coming of the, of the Saviour Jesus Christ, our Saviour Jesus Christ, his birth. And that you know, his birth had been promised for centuries beforehand, centuries, hundreds of years. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks' time when we start a new series based on the glory of Christ. People have been waiting a long time for his first appearing. In fact, in between the time period between the, first, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a period that they refer to as the 400 silent years, that God had spoken through the prophets, but then all of a sudden, God was silent, that no longer did prophets speak on behalf of God. And for 400 years, there was silence. That's from, 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 from 1600 to now, basically, or 1700 to now. That's a long time. If we think back to the 16 and 1700s, that seems like an, an eternity ago. But this is how God works. 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. You know, some of the prophecies were, were given 800 years prior to Jesus' coming. But God acts according to his plan, not ours. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, that's speaking of the fullness of time there, speaks about in God's perfect timing at just the right time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The Apostle Paul saw that, you know, that when Jesus came, it was exactly the right time. We see it again in Ephesians 1, 6 to 10 where he writes, So we praise God for the, for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, in God's perfect timing, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Paul looking forward to that day when Christ will return in all his glory. 
God works on his own time frame, according to his own plan. And although it may seem that God may be delaying, God's timing will be perfect. Jesus will return again at just the right time in the future. And so we need to remember, the next point is we need to remember God's purpose in why he is delaying Christ's return. And we see that in verse 9 of our passage. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but his patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason for God delaying the second coming of Christ is that more and more people will have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel in order to be saved. And this, Peter says, is a demonstration of God's patience towards sinners. He wants to give people ample time and ample opportunity to repent. But his desire is that none should perish that his heart is actually for saving people not condemning people now so many people today question how a loving god could send people to hell and yet this verse points to the very fact that god's desire is for people everywhere that they would repent and be saved through faith in jesus christ and folks that then reminds us afresh of the part we are called to play in that plan of God through the Great Commission, that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. That when God saved you, he didn't just save you so they think, thank goodness, Duncan's now in my kingdom. But he saved each and every one of us for a purpose, and that purpose is that he would use us that we would be surrendered to him, that he might use us to then go out into this world and show and tell people what it is to know Jesus Christ, to know the, 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 the incredible blessings of having our sins paid for and forgiven, of knowing that we are indeed adopted children of God, to know that our eternity is indeed secure in Christ and that they too can know God and his blessings on them in their life. Our salvation is not just an internal insurance policy. Our salvation is God's gift to us. And then we become God's gift to those around about us. God does not want us just sitting in a pew on a Sunday thinking that, yes, I've ticked the religious box this week and I'm all good. Me and God, we're tight. But God saved you so that you might... you might know the incredible privilege of being called his child and then to know the incredible joy and blessing it is of seeing God work in your life 
and use you as a, as a means and as a tool of actually bringing someone else to that saving knowledge of Jesus. Oh, honestly, I pray, I pray that, that each and every one of us sitting in this place today, that everyone a part of this church today will know that blessing, will know that joy of, of being able to speak into the lives of someone else and help them to know Jesus in a very real way and for them to take their first steps of faith to, in, in, a, in Jesus and to grow in him. The sad reality is this, folks, that less than 5% of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, less than 5% will, will speak to one person or more about their faith in Jesus before, between now and the time they die. Between the time they come to faith and the time they die, less than 5% of Christians will actually share their faith with another person. need to remember God's purpose in delaying Christ's return. So we need to remember that time is running out. We see that in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves don't announce they're coming. Thieves don't give you a heads up. They don't send you an email a week before and say, oh, by the way, I'm thinking of robbing your place next Wednesday night. Thieves come when they are least expected. And God is saying here, Jesus is going to return when we least expect it. And all these people that say, you know, Jesus is going to come on this day or that day and that sort of thing, don't believe a word they say. No one knows the day or the hour, but Jesus is coming. He will return. And he will come unexpectedly. He will take people by surprise. And so it's important that we are ready, that we are prepared for Jesus' second coming. That we ourselves have first and foremost settled our sin debt with God through Jesus Christ that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that we've repented of our sin and trusted in him as our saviour. We need to be ready. You need to be ready because Jesus will come when he's least expected. And God says on that day, he will peel back the curtain and expose evil and remove it. And in its place, he says that there will be a renewed heavens and earth a place where only righteousness dwells. I love that verse. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Are you sick and tired of the evil and the corruption and the decay and the, just the horribleness of this world? Are you fed up with it? Yeah. I know I am. And I long for that day when righteousness righteousness will dwell and it will just be a righteous pure beautiful world as god originally intended it to be we now and then folks there's work to be done because time is running out and people need to hear the good news gospel
And lastly, we need to be diligent in living out our faith. We see that from verses 13 through to 18. Peter says, look, in light of all this knowledge, this is how you should live. You are to live expectantly. Look at that in verse 13. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found, with, be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He says, you are waiting for these. We had to live expectantly, waiting, looking forward with certainty to Christ's coming. We need to be people who are seeking to live holy lives, lives that are set apart for God and his purposes and for his glory. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We are to be people who seek to live peaceful lives, he says, and, and live at peace. A settled, that, that speaks about a, a settledness and, and an assuredness, a confidence in, in the purposes of God. That even though we see all this stuff going around, on around us at the moment, we've got this confident assurance in our heart that God's got it all in hand. And so we've got a peace about us. A peace that passes all understanding, all human understanding. A peace that only comes from God. But not just that, that that piece also speaks about not stirring up strife, that we are indeed people who bring about peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says in Matthew 5. We are to live watchfully. We see that in verse 17. He says, You therefore, beloved, know this beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away with error of lawless people. We are, to be, we are to be aware of falsehood and not fall for it. You know, and a key part of that is being, is being connected in to the, to the family of God, to the people of God. As we seek to, to nurture each other and encourage each other and, and help point each other in the, in the ways of faith, to walk on that path, those, in, walk in those paths of righteousness as Christ has called us. We need each other to be able to do that. And sadly, I see today so many Christians who are, who are just you know, thinking that they can just continue to live their lives apart from the family of God, apart from the church. We need that Christian community. We also need that Christian community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So here, though, here are those ones. I'm a bit slow on the, uh, in putting them up. There they are, the five points that, G that Peter says here in these last verses. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Folks, Jesus is coming back. We should hear it. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Our Saviour is coming back. You know, in John 14, he says to his disciples, he says, you know, do not, be, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. If I go away, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me. Jesus is coming back to take us to be with him forever and ever. In that glorious that glorious kingdom of his where only righteousness dwells. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you looking forward to his coming? Does your life reflect that? Father God, we want to thank you this morning. Lord, for your word again.
Lord, your word that you've given to us reminds us afresh that you are a God who wants a relationship with us. You desire to be known and you desire us to know you, not just in our heads, Lord, but experientially in our hearts and in our lives, to know that you are indeed the one true living God, the only God, and to know that you are the one who holds all things in his hands, that you are the sovereign God, the powerful God, the almighty God, and there is nothing nothing in this world that can that can do anything to prevent or stop your purposes from being worked out and lord you are the god who has promised the day when you will come in the person of your son the lord jesus christ in all of majesty and glory and on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father And some will do that with joy in their hearts. And some will do that, in fact, many will do that with fear and trembling and trepidation, knowing that they that they've missed the boat. And there is no hope anymore. Father, help us as your people to live in light of your second coming. Help us to live that reality day by day in our lives. And help us to remember that you want to use us as your people in this world to remind people that you are coming again and that they need to be ready. We're going to spend some time around the communion table now, so I might ask the stewards if they'd like to come forward.